Well, the reality is if you're only talking about yourself, then of course people won't, won't want to hear from you. And if you're only being salesy or promotional in your messaging, then of course they won't want to hear from you. But if you're focused on them and you're providing them with valuable information, valuable materials, insights, ideas, uh, things that can really benefit them, then you're providing a great, you know, a great service. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Michael Zapersky has the distinction of being the first consulting expert on our show. Known for, in addition to advising major brands like Panasonic and the Financial Times, teaching over 400 consultants through his agency. The bar has been set fairly high. We all know what consulting is, but you've never heard insights quite like the ones I have for you today. Enjoy. Michael Zabrowski, it is good to have you here. Welcome and thank you for being on Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Joseph. Uh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. So let's kick things off with the starting question. It's the most important one. It unravels everything from here on in. Uh, tell us who you are and what do you do? Well, as you said, my name is Michael Zapersky, and uh, for the last 21 years, I've been building consulting businesses, uh, both in North America and in Asia, working with clients all around the world, from you know small startups and service-based businesses up to large organizations like Panasonic, Dow Jones, Financial Times, a whole bunch of others. But for the last uh, 11 years now, through consulting success, we've been helping thousands of consultants and people to become successful consultants and then to really grow their consulting businesses. I, I'm hoping we don't get like uh, too meta into this, but initially when I had seen uh, your profile and I thought, oh, it's a consultant. Oh, but it's a consultant for the consultants. So for our listeners, just so they understand it, that is what you're doing is that you are, do you just train them or do you also or do consultants actually come to you while they're in the midst of their profession and they continue to work with you? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, and it's both of those. So my, my journey, again, started off about 21 years ago. Uh, building uh, multiple consulting businesses and working with clients all around the world. And uh, around 11 years ago, my cousin Sam, who's my business partner, we were catching up at a family barbecue uh, one summer, uh, just talking about what we were each doing. I was running a consulting business and he was doing his own thing. We had actually worked on a, a few different businesses before that time. And we said, you know, we should do something again together, but this time we should do it online. Uh, and so that was really where the idea for consulting success came from. However, uh, we started off without any monetization plan. We just simply thought we'd share stories of what it's like to, you know, be a consultant and run uh, a consulting business, you know, kind of from the trenches, from the front lines, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, lessons learned. And so <laughs> we put that out, lots of articles, lots of content, and a community really started to build around that. People said to us, hey, this is, you know, great articles, but do you have a course? And we said, no, but we can build one. Uh, and so we put it out. People said, hey, your course is really helping me to become a a consultant, I'm seeing a lot more success. You know, do you offer coaching or can I work more closely like with you and your team? And we said, well, we don't offer that, but I guess we can. And so we put out a coaching program. Uh, and so that's now, you know, uh, been many years where we've worked personally with close to about 500 consultants through our clarity coaching program. Uh, and we've had about, well, several thousand people go through our, our kind of course and training programs to become a consultant. So to answer your, your question, Joseph, it's really both of those groups. Now we have those who are people in the corporate world or just who have some skill and expertise that want to become consultants uh, that we, we serve. And then we also have those 
who are running successful consulting businesses. Typically, you know, it can be anywhere from getting started to several million dollars per year in, in annual revenue. Uh, but the main thing they all share is they want to to grow. They want to see, uh, you know, more impact. They want to do it in a, in a leveraged way. They want to achieve a great lifestyle, um, you know, mm -hmm. build a team and whatever it is that's meaningful for them. Uh, that's really what we help them with. Everything from getting clear on who their ideal clients are to their messaging, to how to package and position their service offerings and, and expertise, how to price it, how to win proposals, how to market and generate leads consistently uh, and, you know, kind of everything in between. That's incredible. And one of the things that stuck out to me right away is that people were coming to you looking for your insight because you had shared uh, so much of your experience already that people thought, wow, this is what they're giving away. What can I like? What can I get out of this person if I talk to them so they can hear my specific story and they can cater the advice specifically to me? Before I get to like the next question chambered, one thing I wanted to tell you about is but prior before working with Debutify is that I had, I, I do consulting in the podcast space. Um, I wouldn't say that it's on the same scale as like Panasonic or anything like that. It was mostly just, you know, when I would meet with locals, I would go to the local uh, podcast gatherings. A lot of people are looking to get their feet wet into it. They didn't really have anybody to turn to. And I didn't even intend to charge them any money for it. Cause again, I'm working with people that are grassroots and starting up and stuff like that. But what I did notice is that it was great leverage. It gave me an opportunity to showcase my experience and my skill set and cater my knowledge to their particular problems. And oftentimes that would lead to a great contact. Maybe it would turn into work directly, or it would just be something that they can keep in mind at the back of their mind. Other than you know the revenue, what have you seen that people are using consulting for to uh, to boost their profile or to gain other uh, returns out of it? Well, I mean, consulting is is typically a choice that people make uh, when they want to to be um, the master of their own destiny, right? They want to have control. They're uh, leaving the in many cases the corporate world where they've built up their skill set, their uh, experience, a track record of success, but they they see the ceiling, right? They see that, that mm -hmm. their potential is being held back. They're, they have a boss breathing down their neck. Uh, they often are doing work they don't enjoy as much as uh, they would like to. Uh, their, right, their income is not also like there's, they just feel like they, they can't grow, they can't control their own schedule. There's a lot, a lot of limiting factors. And so where the reason why most people enter the consulting world is because they want to work with clients they love. They want to do work that they feel fulfilled by and, and really enjoy. They want to remove that income ceiling so they can uh, really earn whatever they want to earn. Uh, and they also really value free, uh, freedom and flexibility. They want to be able to spend more time with their kids or loved ones or traveling or you know whatever it might be. Uh, and consulting is really one of the best ways to achieve that because the costs of getting started are, are pretty much zero. I mean, it's very low uh, so there's very little resistance to to get started as a consultant as long as you have skills and expertise and you can really add value for someone whether it's an organization or you know some other type of uh, of person out there small medium or, or large uh, then you potentially have the ingredients the right ingredients to to be successful mm -hmm. at one point I'd like to raise too because um, you mentioned about the cost is in, in the tangible sense it's not like you have to set up a circus tent or anything like that it's so there's very little capital that you have to invest into it. Uh, but one thing that it reminded me of just my own experience more from like the art world is that, you know, when an artist is charging X amount of money for a commission, people go, wow, does it really, is it really like that much money to it? And the artist says, well, maybe not the paintbrush that I'm using or the subscription to the creative cloud, 
but the years of experience that I had built, the training that I had gotten, the schools that I had gone to, the the mistakes that I had made on my own, that all factors into uh, the price that you see before me. And I and I can see that same relation to consulting as well. Definitely. Uh, so you are the first, oh, as far as I know, maybe I forgot to ask if somebody does consulting, but you're the first consultant we've had on the show. Uh, and I'm going to skip the question about what a consultant is, because I'm sure my listeners uh, have worked that one out. Uh, but what I would like to do is to give people more of a granular sense of the work involved, because I think most people only really imagine the talking to the client part. So what is the workload on a client to client basis? Yeah, well, I mean, let's first make a distinction between a consultant and a consulting business owner. Uh, there's okay, a lot of fair. people out there who would call themselves a consultant, uh, but really the way that they operate, I mean, yes, they are uh, a consultant by definition in terms of the work that they're doing, going into organization or working with a client, solving a problem, helping to add value, um, really you know, advising and, and giving recommendations and so forth. Uh, but a lot of people operate as a consultant, but they're really a contractor. They have one main client, maybe two, um, and they spend all their time doing the work, right? They're, they're delivering. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it's completely different than being what we call a consulting business owner, where mm-hmm. you're not just only focused on doing the work and delivering, you're also focused on building a business. And so that's where you shift your mindset from just working in the business to really working on the business or even above the business, depending if you have a team and, uh, and you know, you're building systems, you're building processes, you recognize the importance of marketing, and lead generation. And so by doing that, it puts you in a position where if one of your clients stops or makes a change, you don't freak out because you have plenty of uh, other people who are kind of waiting in line to to work with you. And so you don't necessarily have to go through the feast or famine or start and stop type of experience that a lot of quote unquote consultants have uh, because you've planted the seeds consistently over time to really build a business that is not just about you know you doing the work. Okay, that's fair. I, I appreciate making that distinction. Um, but I still want to uh, just give people uh, a sense of, because I don't know if everybody is going to go so far as to uh, run their own business if a lot of people are just going to either join somebody else's business or even just do it independently. Um, so still, even for me, like I mentioned before, I had done it, I would say, as a, as a personal investment. But um, what would the people who are working in the agency do exactly? Other, so what kind of research are they doing for their clients? And, and you say that they're, as contractors, they're only working with a couple of people at a time. So, I mean, how many hours of the week do they focus on, a, on each uh, individual contract? Yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to like this answer because it doesn't sure. exist, right? Like th- this is the beauty, the beauty of consulting is that you can create whatever you want. I mean, I can show you clients who, for example, work with pharmaceutical companies or others that work with artists or others that work you know, in design and, and branding or management or engineering or the environment. Uh, and some of them will be strictly doing, you know, providing uh, strategic advice. Others will be helping to develop strategic plans. Uh, others will be you know, actually doing the implementation. And so there is no number of hours that a typical consultant spends. Now, I mean, if you go and you talk to someone, let's say, who's working at uh, Accenture or Bain and Company or McKinsey, they're going to have a lot more structure around how they, uh, you know, they spend their time depending on whether they're a junior consultant or an associate or a partner or whatever it might be. And typically lower down uh, on the kind of the, the ladder, you're spending a lot more time doing research, putting together slide decks, things of that nature. As you rise up, you might be doing more of the actual work with clients and the interfacing and the communications and you move even higher up. And then you're spending a lot more time on relationships and business development, right? And bring in new business and, and that sort of thing. But as an independent consultant or a small consulting firm owner, 
this is the kind of you know what makes consulting so exciting is that you truly can structure it to be whatever you want. If you're doing work that requires a lot of research, um, you know the first thing I would say is like look at your value. Is your value really in doing the research? And if so, then are you building like a research-based consulting practice? Because if you need research to to help your clients, but you're not an expert in research, you're an expert mm-hmm. in helping them, let's say, to develop strategic plans or to figure out how to how to grow their their e-commerce business, whatever it might be. And but research is important. Well, you shouldn't be spending any time doing research, right? You should be outsourcing that to get somebody else to do that for you because that's not your highest and best use of time. So the, the real role of a consultant or a consulting business owner is to identify where can you create the greatest value and therefore spend the majority of your time in those areas. And then anything else that you uh, need to spend time or think about spending time on, you either need to decide, is this something that is an inefficiency that we don't actually need to have? And can you just remove it? Or if it's something that is you know, critical to the business, but it's not your highest and best use of time, then that's that's a really good indicator. That's something that you should outsource or contract to somebody else so that you can stay focused on what really matters, you know, for the long term success uh, and building of your business. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, last week, one of the recordings I did was with Tyler Jeffcoat, and he does an accounting firm, and he specifically works with people in the e-commerce space. And a couple of his reasons why he wants to do that is because he's he's passionate about entrepreneurship and he's passionate about e-commerce. And he also appreciates the specific vertical uh, to e-commerce. And the other point that he made too, and the one that I want to raise to you in specific is how if somebody, let's just say they hire an accountant within the company, uh, that actually comes at a greater cost. You actually end up saving more money and you get better results if you work with uh, an independent agency. Um, And I happen to think that's probably true for uh, consulting as well. Now, one of the questions that I want to pose to you is, do you find that you're able to accumulate data in aggregate that you can then share with each individual person uh, better than if, say, they had an advisor in-house who was only focusing on data collected within the company? Well, I think, uh, you know, to your question, it's going to depend on the scale and size of the business. So some businesses are going to warrant It'll make a lot more financial sense for them and also much more strategic sense to actually have an in, in-house bookkeeper or CFO or, or financial person. Um, that's been proven over and over. But for most small to mid-sized businesses, uh, they're not going to require that. They're not going to have, you know, the economies of scale won't make won't make sense. But also the, the strategic purpose doesn't make sense for someone, you know, an, an accountant or whatever to be in-house full time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's. Most small to mid-sized businesses can can definitely get by and should get by by having uh, external advice on an as-needed basis. But there's there's no need for them to have a, an in-house person for that. Mm-hmm. So the next couple of questions. Uh, this one is geared towards our our dropshipping. Uh, one of the core assumptions I make about our audience is that they all know about dropshipping. Uh, many are considering it. Some are actively doing it. And dropshipping, while it is a it's a fulfillment method. Uh, there is somewhat of a culture to it too, because a lot of people who get into dropshipping, they use it as a way to lay out a foundation of their experience in e-commerce, and then they branch out into other realms. And one of the things that I want to do with this episode is encourage them to consider uh, consulting directly or even uh, having their own agency. So could you uh, lay out a roadmap for entrepreneurs and the independently minded, and especially in the e-commerce space and uh, with the stores that they're running? is um, how they can get from that point uh, into uh, into the consulting space or what methods or what uh, they should what experience they should accumulate before they consider it yeah I mean so really for anyone that wants to get into consulting 
the most important thing is that you're able to provide value to those that you want to serve. And value can be defined in many different ways, but at the end of the day, it's about being able to solve a problem that somebody has uh, or helping them to reach their goal or kind of that desired future state in a more efficient and effective way possible than they can do by themselves. Uh, oftentimes that will come with you having deep expertise, right? You've uh, solved a problem many times before and you know how to uh, solve it better than that ideal client of yours does. So let's just kind of uh, assume for this situation that you do have value or you can provide value. Uh, then the next thing is you want to get very clear about who your ideal client actually is. We call this ideal client clarity. Um, and just saying that you work with small businesses is not enough because uh, if I said to you, okay, you have an hour right now, Joseph, to go out and market, you know, and you say, well, my ideal clients are small businesses, like where do you even begin, right? That's, that's too, mm -hmm. too broad, too wide. So one of the greatest challenges that people have is getting clear, first of all, on who their ideal clients really are. And the more narrow, the more kind of defined segment that you have, the more typically efficient and effective you're going to be because you know where to find those people, you know how to identify them, you know how to speak their language. Um, but a lot of people right, push back on that because it essentially means you have to say no to some potential opportunities. But you know, if you look at uh, just results over and over across multiple different industries, the vast majority of people are much better off by getting focused on a specific type of ideal client and defining their area of specialization. So that's the first part. The second part then is once you're clear on who your ideal client is, uh, what you would then want to do is develop a message that will get their attention uh, and their interest. We call this the magnetic message. Uh, and really this is, you know, to, to have them almost want to raise their hand because uh, they, they right away feel like you are speaking to them. And you can only develop this message when you truly have defined who your ideal client is. Otherwise, your message ends up being too general. And one of the you know, top reasons why consultants or anyone out, out there um, doesn't see traction with their marketing is because they haven't defined who their ideal client is and then they have a very general message. Well, we're all bombarded right, you know, these days with more media, more ads, just you know, more of everything that's really vying for our attention. And the only way for you to really get your message to stand out is to speak to what your ideal client is actually thinking about right now. And so when you're clear on who your ideal client is and you develop a message that really speaks to the, you know, to what your ideal client wants, really resonates with them, then they end up taking notice and they want to learn more. And so the next part of that is then looking at how do you take all of those years of, of skills and experience and just what you've done and how do you package it and position it and place value on it and price it in a way that really resonates with your ideal client? So it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to buy is kind of what they're thinking, but also ensures that you're using leverage. You're not just trading time for dollars uh, and that when you do deliver whatever it is that you are delivering, it's going to be highly profitable for you. Um, so that's the third part. The fourth part uh, is really what we call the marketing engine. Uh, and this is about putting a system in place for your marketing so that you can consistently generate leads and opportunities. Um, and there's three components of a marketing engine. Uh, the first is outreach, which can be done in many different ways, but it essentially says, okay, Joseph, you're my ideal client. I know, how, you know where to find you. I know what you're thinking about. Uh, that doesn't necessarily happen right away, but working through a process, it becomes very clear. Uh, and so I can now reach out to you, right? I can do that through LinkedIn. I can do that through an email. I can pick up the phone. I can do it through many different ways, but essentially I can say, hey, Joseph, you know, I exist um, and I'm going from, you know, not even being on your radar to now getting on your radar, right? I go from being invisible to becoming visible. So that's number one uh, of the marketing engine. The, the second part of this overall is then follow-up, uh, right? So just reaching out to you once or, or even twice isn't really going to move the needle, right? There's lots of studies that show it can take between seven to 12 different touches or interactions. Yet this is where the vast majority of people fall down in their marketing is they stop following up. 
So it's really critical that you follow up and that you do it in a way that is not salesy. It's not promotional. That you're really focused on value. And this is, you know, one maybe slight distinction, although it's not different, but a lot of people try and use typical kind of internet marketing, you know, tactics and approaches to win consulting clients. But consulting clients and consulting engagements are different than selling a necktie or selling, you know, a, a deodorant stick. Uh, it's not a transaction. It's based on a relationship and truly adding value. And so your outreach, your follow-up needs to really be focused on how you can deliver a lot of value to your ideal clients uh, and then strengthen that relationship over time so that the person that you're reaching out to, who is your ideal client, really starts to trust you, feels that you're an authority and expert in your area. And therefore, uh, as they have that problem or that, or that problem becomes more and more painful for them or that desire becomes stronger, they see you as the number one person uh, that they want to engage with. And the third part of this, of the marketing engine, is content. Right. So developing content, because that's really the best way, aside from you actually doing the work or receiving a referral to demonstrate your expertise to an ideal client. Right? I can tell you, hey, Joseph, I'm really good at X, but it's much better if I can just you know, show you a video or uh, send over a white paper or a book or something else that I'm able to demonstrate my expertise through that piece of content, because that content will then you know, convince you rather than me trying to convince you myself. And then the, the key thing is you work all those three things together, the outreach, the follow up uh, and the content. Together, uh, when you do that consistently, it's like a virtuous cycle that really helps you to generate leads consistently. So there's a lot of additional pieces that we could layer on to start getting more advanced about, you know, pricing strategies and how to build authority. But those are kind of the, the four key pillars uh, that people want to work through to build uh, a successful consulting business. Mm -hmm. And uh, a pretty common recommendation that I make for listeners is to always treat uh, our episodes here as a way to be introduced into these concepts. Um, you provide plenty of this content as you talk about, and so they can spend hours and hours and hours uh, going through it and sinking their teeth into it. Um, the, a couple of points that had been uh, raised as you were as you were talking. Well, one of them, I, I do want to get some clarity on what exactly it is to deliver uh, to a client. I mean, I guess, I suppose for me, it would just be to deliver uh, improvements, like if they, they see an increase in revenue. Um, but I feel like given that there is a lot of variance to the working relationship between the client and the consultant, is I, I do want to hear exactly what uh, a deliver would mean. A deliverable or delivery can be many different things. Sure. It, can be, it can simply be advice. Uh, it can be a report with strategic recommendations. It can be a roadmap on how to take those high level kind of recommendations that you've captured through interviews or analysis or surveys or whatever it might be, and then turning that into a roadmap that the client can go and implement themselves. It can be working with the client to oversee that implementation and ensure that it's implemented successfully. It can be ongoing coaching and support and you know uh, advisory to ensure that as they are implementing, that there's always going to be new things popping up. And so you're there to provide peace of mind. Um, you know, what a lot of consulting uh, or consultants do, it's not so much about just the deliverable, right? Oftentimes people think like, oh yeah, the report, the slide deck, you know, the, the tangible material, that's the value, but that's actually not the value at all. The value to clients is that you're able to give them a lot more clarity on, you know, what the next steps should be. And then as they take those steps that they know that you're there, you know, so they're, they're really gaining a lot more confidence because they could have taken those steps themselves before, but they, number one, maybe didn't even know that those steps existed, right? Or a specific step. So now you're not giving them clarity on what to do. You're also giving them confidence to take that action. And then the real value also happens as, as you continue working with them, right? Other challenges, other questions and things come up. And so your value as a consultant is that you've likely been there and done that before. 
uh, it's not new to you. Whereas if the client was trying to do it all by themselves, they likely would stumble and fall, not know where to do, get lost. But you're really there to say, hey, here's the roadmap. Here's what we're going to do based on these things. Okay, yeah, don't worry if that pops up. You know, here's how we need to correct it, course correct it, and then and then move forward. So you're really like the shepherd. You're the guide to help your client go from where they are to wherever that future desired state is and to do it in the most efficient and effective way possible with, you know, with the fewest numbers of, of bumps and bruises uh, along the way. You know, this might be the first time that it's occurred to me how important that kind of peace of mind is for the client when they know that they can turn to a consultant and rely on their body of knowledge in order to improve their own workload. Because it's not just about the decision, it's about the energy that goes into making that decision and the anxiety that goes into it. I I can picture a scenario, scenario A, where somebody's going to make the right call, but they haven't had anybody to validate that. And there's a lot more anxiety to it. And they might not follow through in the same way. Scenario B, exact same decision, but they've talked to somebody uh, who validates their idea and can uh, support them and says, yeah, yeah, actually, you actually, you actually nailed this one, so go for it. And the difference between the outcomes would actually be substantial, even if it's the exact same decision. Yeah, I think the one uh, addition I'd have there is that when you're investing into working with a consultant, a coach, or whoever it might be, an advisor, uh, you have skin in the game, right? You made, you made that mm-hmm. investment. So now you're much more likely to actually take the action because you might lose something, right? You might lose that investment that you made. So uh, that, that's another reason that helps people to actually move forward. It's because they now have something invested, whereas before they didn't. Mm-hmm. So out of the three parts of the marketing engine, the one part of it that I wanted to follow up on briefly was, um, actually, it was in the, in the following up. So if I'm going to have to contact somebody uh, six times, seven times, I can see in my own mind starting to feel somewhat reluctant about it. Like I'm kind of giving them a heart. Maybe I'm being a little bit too much of a squeaky wheel. Maybe they're ignoring me on purpose. Whatever the case is, um, can you make any mindset recommendations or like what confidence a, a consultant has to have in order to reach out to these prospective clients uh, time and time again before they can uh, move on to the next step? So Joseph, do you care about the person you're reaching out to? I see, I see your point. I mean, do you, do you want the best result for them? Do you, do you want them mm-hmm. to potentially choose a less qualified consultant or, or advisor, someone who doesn't have the same level of skills or experience that you have? Right? Like, these are the kinds of things. Like, so when, to think about follow, the mindset shift is, and this is a very common one, so you're, you're raising a really important point, right? A lot of people look at marketing, sales, and follow-up as a big part of that. Uh, as quote unquote sales, like you know, the used car salesperson being there to push and persuade um, and cajole and you know to try and get people to do what they don't want to do, and you become a bit of a, a a nudge, or you know, you become someone that people don't, don't want to keep hearing from. Well, the reality is, if you're only talking about yourself, then of course people won't won't want to hear from you. And if you're only being salesy or promotional in your messaging, then of course they won't want to hear from you. But if you're focused on them and you're providing them with valuable information, value, valuable materials, insights, ideas. Uh, things that can really benefit them, then you're providing a great, you know, a great service. Just because somebody doesn't respond to you doesn't mean they're not interested in, in what you have to offer. It just might be that right now they have something on their minds that is a higher priority. Uh, but I can't tell you the number of times that I've had clients that I've consulted with over the years who have said, Michael, thank you so much for following up because I really mm-hmm. need someone like you or your company, you know, around us because we, like we need someone to, to light that fire and we're, we're so busy. We're overwhelmed with all these different things that I'm really glad that you kept following up. That's typically what people say. Now, I can also give you ex- uh, examples of people who have you know, been, for example, on, on our email list for three years, have never bought anything, 
uh, and then all of a sudden one day sign up and become a you know a six figure client. We had one client recently who literally has been with us almost from day one. Uh, he told me after like we had our on a, a call together. He said, "Yeah, I've actually been following what you guys have been doing at ConsultingSuccess.com since uh, like for ten years." I was like, 10 years?" And you know, some people might hear that and go like, "Wow, you guys aren't really good at your follow up or marketing. Why does it take you ten years to turn someone into a client?" But when I heard that, I was actually really happy. What it said to me is. Like if we would have, we had so many opportunities to stop following up or to stop kind of putting valuable stuff in front of this person that we could have just stopped at any time, but we didn't. Uh, and the fact is that we were there for that person when they were ready. And now they've become a great long-term client. So, you know, if you view follow-up as you might be bothering people, you're not going to want to do it. But if you view it that you truly mm -hmm. care about them, you want the best result for them, then you have a responsibility. You really have a responsibility to be there for them. Now, if they say, stop contact me, then you do. Right. That's not a problem. But if someone doesn't, don't don't make the assumption that they're not interested in what you have to offer or that you can't help them, because if you keep staying top of mind, then at some point they likely will need you and they'll be very glad that you're there for them. And you'll be really top of mind because most people won't continue to do the follow up that you're doing. Well, that is as good as an answer to that question as I can imagine. And and from, you know, as I'm as I'm observing the information, it for me, it's not even stopping at consulting. It's also uh, something that would um, make its way into other prospective business arrangements as well. If you really care about the well-being of others, you will continue to work on that until they're ready to reach out to you in return. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so I got one more uh, question for our dropshipping crowd. Um, one of the core aspects to dropshipping is the ability to scale their business, the ability to 10 or 20x the return on the energy expenditure. Um, it's essential to the appeal of the business. But this is also why a lot of the guests that I've talked to in that space, they, they'll they do coaching, which I know isn't exactly consulting, but it's a, a, a dialogue relationship. Um, they tend to shy away from it because although it pays, it's the one-on-one -on -one aspect means that they aren't scaling the same way they're used to based on their energy expenditure. Um, so from my own experience working with clients, what I would say, and again, this is prior to my... Uh, to my work here with Debutify, I'm not actively seeking right now, but the equivalent in scaling is to work with clients that have higher profiles. So it's still a one-to-one -one relationship, but well, they pay more and they are more responsible to the economy because they have more of an impact. Um, so yeah, I, I think I was close, but what would you say is the consultant's equivalent of scaling in this way? Yeah, I mean, well, you've hit on one, right? Which is client selection, right? Becoming very clear about who you truly want as an ideal client and recognizing that not all clients are equal. Uh, one client might invest, you know, $50,000. Another one is investing $500. So, you know, there's, there's a difference. Uh, and certainly choosing higher value clients is one way to, to grow or to scale, but there's many others, right? You can switch to an arrangement where you get paid, for example, a base fee per month. Uh, and then you have a percentage of the improvement that you capture as you work with that client. That's a great way to mm -hmm. scale. Another is that you take equity in a business. You have to be careful with that, but there are ways for the right types of relationships where having equity in a company that you work with and support and advise can become very profitable for you long term. Uh, the other would be look at how you can productize your consulting services or just your services in general, right? And turn something that would be typically done kind of one to one and make it available so it becomes one to many. Uh, another, even with the coaching example that you mentioned would be rather than doing just one-to-one -one coaching, you start to look at ways to provide more of a group component, or you bring other coaches into your, into your business. So you're not doing all the coaching yourself. Um, I mean, again, this is why I love consulting so much is because there's so many different ways to approach it. There is no, you know, you see online these days, a lot of people say like, oh, this is the best model. This is the, you know, this is mm -hmm. like they say the best about all these things. 
there is no best, right? Because it depends on what is your specific situation. What do you want? Some people want to build a team and uh, and scale that way. Other people want to be a, a one you know person uh, shop and uh, and stay that way. So it really depends on what your goals are. For some people, having a business that generates half a million dollars a year at a very high profit level is fantastic. For others, they want to generate two, three, four, you know, five million dollars, um, and they're prepared to do what's required to get there. So. Uh, what's important, I think, first of all, Joseph, is that people get very clear about what they really want, what's meaningful for them, what kind of lifestyle do they want. Uh, and then once you've had that or, or you've gotten clear on that, you can then work backwards and figure out, OK, well, what is the right business model to support that? And am I willing to make the sacrifices required and then figuring out the most efficient and, again, effective path to, to get you there? Um, so my next question is uh, is about the work itself. And, and again, a lot of these are chambered in advance, so uh, we might have already touched on this, but I'm just going to run it past you anyways, just in case. When when a client is uh, is working in um, in this hypothetical, I'm using I'm considering you being the consultant uh, directly, and and I also recognize that we established early on that a lot of this changes on a on a case by case basis. But so if maybe there's a generality to this, do clients provide you with data for you to analyze, or do you do research on your own, or like what is the general generality of uh, who gets the data and who who provides it to who? Yeah, I mean, so it, it can depend, right? And the data can come in many different forms uh, from having, you know, an interview or a conversation with with someone in, in a management position or uh, a leader or an executive uh, to, to doing surveys. Sometimes clients will already have data ready. Other times they won't even know what data is valuable and it's just sitting, you know, inside the business. So most often what the consultant is doing is determining, you know, and getting clarity about, what is the goal that the client has? What's really meaningful for them? What does success look like? And then working backwards to compare that to where the client is today and then figuring out, okay, well, what do we need to do to get from where we are to where you know we want to be? Uh, and most often that's going to require capturing some data or some information. Again, that can come in many different forms. Uh, so the consultant will, in most cases, guide the client as to, or at least suggest what kind of information is required to make better decisions. Because just making a decision right without looking at uh, the data or just getting you know clear about what's really happening with inside the business typically leads to really bad outcomes, which is why mm-hmm. most consultants will have some kind of an assessment, an audit, a diagnostic or other way of, of capturing uh, intelligence and information at the start of an engagement because it really sets you up for making better decisions going forward because you've identified the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, you know, all that other stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, a really important starting point for almost any consulting engagement. Now, is this audit, is this them, is, is there, are they using software for this or are they just asking questions uh, to the client and maybe the agency that they work with? Yeah, again, this will, this will depend, right? So right. Uh, some people will use a very specific software or tool. Others will create their own diagnostic or template or assessment. Um, some will, yeah, you know, you use surveys. Some will just ask questions in a conversation. We've seen everything from just having a, a few, you know, kind of questions or uh, like a checklist uh, created to very complex, what looks complex kind of diagnostics where the client, multiple clients in one organization will answer a bun- bunch of questions that's then compared to different benchmarks that then gives you know some opportunities to see what they can be doing different, which then leads to a roadmap and, and kind of a bit of a planning session. Uh, so it really depends on the situation, the client, what the goals are, because that's the value, right? Is that you're you're not just taking a cookie cutter approach. You're really figuring out what is the best way to serve a specific type of ideal client? And even if you're productizing your offerings, the goal 
uh, with productization. And typically where it works best is when you've gotten very clear about who your ideal client is. And you're not just trying to create one solution for every person. You're, you've created a very specific solution for a very specific type of person. One of the concepts that uh, we had um, we, we had brought up as we were uh, setting this interview up was the idea of uh, selling more by selling less, uh, which I sense is along the same lines as like quality over quantity. But um, can you uh, elaborate on this concept for our listeners? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so this really comes down to oftentimes people think that and it's not so much about selling, uh, you know, less or it's not about s- selling. It's just if you want to grow, right, if you want to achieve uh, more progress, more results, more, more momentum, Typically, growth comes from sub, uh, subtraction, not just from addition. And what you see a lot of people doing in all different spaces uh, is that they try and throw a lot more things onto the fire without even, first of all, getting clear on like what will burn and what won't, right? Uh, and so uh, if you want to grow, what you want to do is you want to start identifying like the 80-20 of, of your business or of your operations. There's going to be certain things that are going to have a much greater output and impact than others. And so you don't just want to take all the latest trends and tactics and, you know, social media, this or whatever. Like it's, it's about getting very clear, like what really is going to move the needle? What's really going to create the, the greatest results? Looking at what you're currently doing, getting clear about what is working, what isn't working, do more of what's working, less of what isn't working. Um, and that's why, again, if you look at the most successful businesses in the world, typically they don't achieve their success just by starting off, especially at the beginning, by just trying to accomplish like a lot. Right. In terms of like trying to uh, have tons of different service offerings or tons of different products or products with tons of different features, they start off with like a very defined they've subtracted. So whether it's like, you know, the um, the iPod or, you know, whatever it might be, it's like you can you look at these new offerings and they're very defined for a very specific type of person. Uh, and that's how they scale. That's how they start growing. And as they gain more traction, it gives them more resources and more opportunities to expand. But if you really want to achieve greater growth, first focus on you know, what has the biggest impact and look at what you can remove all those inefficiencies. And by doing that, by doing even, you know, spending less time overall, but, but more time on the right things, you'll typically see a much greater result. Mm-hmm. And, and one philosophy that I think is important to keep in mind too, is that it is better to be small before you be big. Because when you're small, you can iron out these mistakes, you can catch these things, you can figure out more of the operations so that when you do scale, any issue that comes with you will also be amplified as well. Yeah, another way to say that, Joseph, is that, that complexity doesn't scale, right? So if you're carrying all this all this baggage and you, mm-hmm. you have all these things that aren't really that efficient in the business and you then try and grow, you're just creating a lot of waste, right? Which is why when there's acquisitions or, um, you know, big investments made into companies, one of the first things that savvy people do, even before they even made the acquisition, is they look at, uh, you know, where is the real profit or the real uh, opportunities coming from? And then anything that's not producing, they just cut. Right. And then instantly you just start seeing much better results because now you can dedicate and focus your resources on the things that were truly creating the greatest value. And uh, for e-commerce businesses, drop shippers, whatever, like this will this the nature of 80-20 will likely hold true that, you know, roughly 80 percent of your revenue or profits are going to be coming from 20 percent of, of your products that you're putting out there. And if let's say you have 10 different products, but two of them are contributing the, you know, the vast majority of your resources. Well, why do you even have those other ones? And instead, would you be better served by just focusing on, the, let's say, the two that are actually creating the best results for you? Maybe you, you create different colors, you create different you know, feature add-ons to those, or you develop those products more. Uh, but that's the kind of thinking that I would encourage people to, uh, to start to embrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Michael, we also wanted to talk about um, winning over more proposals. 
Um, but first, I'd like to get our audience to understand uh, what our proposal is in this context. Uh, I think we can all kind of like guesstimate it even as we hear the word proposal. But uh, so, yeah. So what is a proposal in this context? And then how do we go about winning them? The, the purpose of the proposal is really just to formalize the agreement between you and the client. And this is one of the big mistakes that people make is they have a, a fairly surface level conversation with a buyer and then they will go, OK, yeah, this person said to send me a proposal. They get all excited. Then try and you know work all of these new ideas into a proposal and then send it over to the client. And the client looks kind of at it and thinks to themselves, okay, yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. I need some time to process this. Uh, and then it just gets pushed off. And you know, now the the consultant's thinking, well, what did I do wrong? And, you know, are they not interested? And it's simply the fact that you know you had things reversed. Uh, you want to focus and go, you know, beyond the surface level in your conversation before you even create a proposal to really truly understand what is the pain point for the client. Uh, you know, what is the opportunity? What do they value? And then to go deep into that conversation so that you're on the same page so that you and the client have really defined together and collaborated on what the next steps are going to be and what the value is in, in solving those problems or reaching that, that destination. Once you've done that, then you're in a much better place to create a proposal. But even before you start creating the proposal, you really want to ask the client questions along the lines of, you know, like how much of a priority is this for you to begin? How soon do you want to get started? Is there anything that you feel that might hold you back from moving forward with this? So th these are questions, again, that people typically don't ask because they think like, oh, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to you know, go into those details. I don't want to ask about revenue. I don't want to ask about valuable. Why mm -hmm. leave it? If you leave it, you're not going to typically be very successful with your proposals. But if you ask those questions up front, you're going to be able to work through them with that prospective client before you even spend any time on a proposal, which will then lead to significantly higher rates of proposals. In terms of the proposal itself, you know, it's like we have a, a template in our momentum program that we offer to clients. We have lots of actually articles on the website as well for free that kind of go into what are the, the ingredients of a successful proposal. But the most important one is that you're not really trying to communicate new information in your proposal. If you do, right, then the client's going to need to take time to, to process that. Uh, your proposal should not make the client think. The proposal should really confirm for them that you are the right person or your company is the right company to help them to get the result they want to solve that problem that they have. And it should also focus on, on the value. So you want to reiterate what is the value and why are you best suited to, you know, to solve this problem for them. You want, you want to also give them a very clear sense of you know, what is the potential return on their investment. Like how is this going to be a good return for them in order uh, for them to move forward with you. And so you're just stacking the value and the reason for them to move forward. But you're not introducing a whole bunch of new information other than maybe your, your pricing and, you know, and options that you might provide within that. Um, and one of their best practice here for proposals, since we're on the topic, is that you should never send a proposal to a client, uh, you know, days or, or weeks in advance and just hope for them to get back to you. Right. That's a, a really big mistake that people make. What you should be doing is really reviewing the proposal with the client together. If you can't do it in person, do it on a Zoom call. Right. Jump on a Zoom call and re review the proposal. You can send it like half an hour or an hour or whatever, uh, you know, before. But the, the you should not allow your uh, prospective client to just go through the proposal themselves and try and interpret it themselves because most likely they're going to have questions. Most likely there will be something in there that, that they don't get 100%. And if you're not there to answer those questions or to have a conversation with them, then there might be an objection they have and they might now already make up their mind about why they're not going to move forward because they see something in there that doesn't really connect with them. But if you're on the call with them, if you're able to go through it line by line or section by section, as that potential objection comes up, you're right there, able to deal with it. Therefore, you're able to resolve it so that you can move forward or make adjustments on the fly. Um, so those are a few best practices there for, for people that can really make a big difference. Yeah. And it also, um, 
uh, speaks to uh, sales technique as well. The difference between them just looking at the proposal on their own and starting to draw their own conclusions uh, versus having you there as a guide so that they can uh, understand the thought process and what's and what's going into it. The um, so for like the, the 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 third act of this of this interview, I do want to get into uh, some of the more like the person to person side of uh, of dealing. Of, I should say dealing with them, and they're not they're not a burden, but in in working with clients. So with this one, it's been kind of uh, uh, gnawing away at me, and I'm not sure if this is even really like a fair question to ask, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyways. But um, what are you doing, or what are you encouraging your 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 students to do to assess? what makes a good client? Because uh, they could be running a good company. Uh, you can be invested in their well-being, but it, there, there might have to be a certain personality complex that they need to have in order to be receptive to the information and to your guidance. Because you are imparting a lot of your ideas and a lot of your uh, experience into their business. And you never know how invested or they, they can be in it. So yeah, what would make for a good client? Well, so you mean what makes for a good client? Just to clarify your question, or is it what can people yeah. do to ensure that they're you know attracting the right type of client? You know, I I feel like option B is probably a better one, but if there's any uh, substance to uh, option A, then we can go for that too. Yeah, I mean, the, the, so the first thing is uh, in your marketing, right? Before you even talk to a prospective client, you can use your marketing as a way to uh, to really push away or to polarize, right? You you can. Uh, communicate ideas and beliefs and approaches that really will push away the wrong people, but will help you to attract the right people. And so this is why for, you know, like the most successful marketing typically does polarize. And if you look at the most successful celebrities, they also polarize, right? They're not for everybody. They typically stand mm-hmm. out, like they're very clear with their opinions. And that's because they know who they want to attract. Uh, if you try and speak to everybody, you speak to no one. So you can use your marketing to really start to attract the right kinds of people then that's the first part. The second part then is when you're actually having that initial conversation with them. Uh, and you can ask them all kinds of questions. Uh, we, we call it you know, having like a, a meaningful consulting sales conversation. And it, it really helps you to identify all the different elements or pieces of information that you're going to need to define and decide whether or not this is somebody that you can help and whether you want to help. And when you ask those questions, you're going to get very clear. You'll have that, that sense inside of you. Like you're going to know in your gut whether or not this person is the kind of person or the kind of company that you want to to support. And typically your gut is right. So if you get a, a sense like, yeah, this person doesn't, you know, they think they know it all. They're not open to new ideas. They're not that, that receptive. Everything I'm asking them, they're like, they're not really being open with me. Then that's a pretty good indication that that's, should, you know, that's not going to be a great client for you. Even if they're willing to, to sign up and pay you, most likely they're not going to take the advice that you have and there'll be a, you know, a pain in the backside to work with. And so uh, you would then want to use that as, an, as a kind of indication not to move forward with them. However, the flip side of that is you ask some really great questions, you go deep in the conversation and you just get a sense like, yeah, this person really wants it. They're hungry for it. They're, they're open to new ideas. Uh, I really like their vision. I like what they've been doing. I just, I like them, you know, I, I feel like I like them as a person. Well, that's a great indication to start working with them. And then really where rubber meets the road is when you do start working with them and you'll see, and it's like anything in life, you're going to pick up some clients that are not ideal that you just learn, you know, maybe you had that, that kind of gut instinct and you didn't really listen to it. And now you're working with them and you feel like, yeah, I'm just not really enjoying this. And yes, they're paying, but it's not the kind of work that I really want to do. Or I just feel like they're, they, they need too much handholding or whatever it might be, right? There, there's a lot of different criteria that you'd want to look at in terms of profitability or enjoyment, fulfillment, so forth. Um, but it's not uncommon to quote unquote fire, you know, your least profitable or least fulfilled or at least kind of, you know, where enjoyment is coming from clients. 
Uh, that's natural in every business. There's going to be some some attrition. Uh, so don't worry about that. Don't use that as, as a reason to stop marketing or stop building your business. Just get very clear that what you want to focus on doing more and more is identify the criteria and the types of people that you like. And as you move forward, Joseph, and you're building your business, you'll start seeing like common traits and similarities between different types of clients. And you'll know, like, yeah, these people, I noticed that they all use these words or they've all had this experience or they're all in this space. And that'll help you then to really firm up and to get uh, kind of clear and more focused around who you want to attract more of and who you want to, to have less uh, in your business and life. That's a key point too, because you mentioned how celebrities, they, they're having, they have their outsized personas and that does churn out the, the fans uh, to the people who aren't going to be fans of them. You've given me a deeper understanding of Kanye I'll, uh, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> So one of the things I'm, I'm wondering about is because especially in, in your in your experience, you've dealt with a lot of high profile clients and I'm wondering about the pressure level uh, that you're under. I expect that there is pressure involved in working with high profile clients such as the ones that you listed. So how do you address it? And if possible, how do you mitigate it? You know, I think uh, working or the pressure that comes from working with high profile clients is no different than the pressure of working with less high profile clients, right? It comes down to mm-hmm. um, your experience. And so the first time that you work with any company, you're gonna feel some pressure because you're venturing into unknown water, right? You're doing something that is, that is different. Uh, but that's also a sign that you're challenging yourself. That's also a sign that you're growing. You do it once, the next time you do it, it's gonna be a little bit easier. It'll be a little bit more comfortable. This is really just, you know, I think a fact of, of life or an experience of life that uh, anytime you do something new or different, you're going to feel uneasy about it, about it. There'll be some fear around it, but that's completely natural. And you do it, you learn from it. Maybe you fall on your face. Well, you get back up, you try it again, you, know, you, uh, you get better next time around. And so this is what entrepreneurship is. If someone is not um, willing to kind of get you know knocked down from time to time or to feel uneasy or to feel a bit of fear or to feel you know a bit of anxiety, um, then you're probably not cut out to be an entrepreneur. And there's nothing wrong with that because not everybody should be an entrepreneur. But if you understand that's part of kind of the territory, that in order to create that that kind of lifestyle and to have the benefits that come from entrepreneurship uh, and creating kind of, you know, what you what you are truly uh, in control of, uh, then, then the benefits are, are there for you. But it's a natural part of it. There's no way around it. It doesn't matter how successful you are, whether, you know, you're making a, hundred thousand a year, whether you're making a million a year, 10 million a year, a hundred million a year, talk to billionaires. They still have troubles. They still have challenges that they're dealing with. They're just different. Mm -hmm. That drew a a parallel in my own mind, the difference between the independent career pursuit that has made up uh, the last 10 years of my life versus, you know, when I would work as a grocery boy, I'm I'm mostly just receiving orders as a grocery boy. There, There definitely wasn't any pressure. And yeah, you know, you start to check out from that kind of work. Um, when, by the way, you know, when I get to my retirement, I'd probably go back and do grocery work again just to uh, stay active. But the difference between that and versus doing something, it's about doing something important. It's that feeling of this actually matters and that there is tangible weight to, to my actions. And that if I don't, if I don't fulfill them, then yes, there, there will be consequences to it. Yeah. One of your uh, YouTube videos uh, talks about the vulnerability. And I find that refreshing to see because I guess my misconception is that, you know, consultants would want to, and not just consultants, but uh, a lot of uh, businesses uh, relying heavily on uh, interaction uh, would want to project an air of authority. So there seems to be a balance here as what can we do to be vulnerable in a way that's uh, productive and healthy and helpful to our business? Yeah. So I think vulnerability is really important. And 
not only from a business perspective, but also uh, it's really important from just you know a, a life perspective. And I've I, what I shared in that video on YouTube, uh, Joseph, is that you know when I was first getting started in the world of consulting, uh, I thought it was totally wrong to try and share any vulnerability, right? Uh, and it makes sense, you know. I was in my uh, early 20s, and I was at that time, you know, consulting with some very large organizations. Um, so, you know, I felt that imposter syndrome. I had a lot of just challenges ar around that, and I thought, yeah, in order for me to, you know, to be trusted and liked, and for people to to hire us, like, yeah, you know, I need to show that I'm a professional. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all people, and you know, people uh, buyers don't hire you because of your brand name, unless you're a McKinsey or an Accenture or, or whatever. They don't hire you because you have a nice logo uh, or, or a nice website for that matter. They hire you because they feel they, they like you, they trust you, they believe that you can help them to solve a problem. And that comes from you being a person. And you know, if you think about, go back like in time, wh what people gravitate towards most is stories. Uh, and so when you are open, you share your story. When you share with people you know, what it is that you've gone through and that you're not perfect, because the reality is none of us are perfect. We, we all have our insecurities. We've all faced challenges. Uh, you know, a lot of people aren't open about them. But what's interesting is the moment that you do open up and that you share a challenge that you've had or an insecurity that you faced or whatever it might be, there's going to be a group of people that latch onto that because they think to themselves like, wow, that person's really successful or I see them as being successful, but they're also dealing with that issue. Like, that's interesting because I'm dealing with that issue. And so now you've created a bond, right? Now you, you're different from all the other high level kind of, um, you know, noise in the marketplace and, and all this authority and professionalism, which is nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You still want to be an authority, right? You still want to build your brand. You still want to be professional, but uh, you shouldn't push away those, those things that you encounter because the more that you share of what you're actually going through or have gone through, the more that people will actually feel like they, they know you, like you, and trust you. And that's how you build brand. Right? That's how you build a following. That's how you build a community is that you're actually open with people. And the more open you are, the more that you'll actually find that they're, that they're attracted to you. And so not only will that be better for you because you'll feel better because you can just be yourself. You'll also mm -hmm. find that there, you'll get great business benefits from that because you'll have a stronger following uh, and a more loyal uh, following. Uh, and I've seen that not only in our business since we've started to really embrace that concept, but, um, you know, from every person that I've talked to, we run a podcast called the Consulting Success Podcast and then lots of episodes. And, you know, every person that I've talked to about, uh, about that who's been vulnerable and been open, in some cases, it's, you know, vulnerability or, or experiences with, with drugs or potential suicides or um, children passing away, like all kinds of crazy things that you would typically think a professional would never share. But the moment that they start to share that with their community or with those that they want to serve, uh, it's it's been not only freeing for them as a person, but it's also come with some really great business benefits. Uh, well, that's a that's a great answer to the question, and that's definitely something that I me me I my my problem was actually kind of more opposite. Sometimes I feel like I was being like over vulnerable, and so I had to uh, learn to like not to not to get into TMI territory, basically. But uh, especially in the time that we're in right now, is that we we really do need to connect with people in any way, shape, or form that we can find. Uh, was one of the reasons why even as even though this is an audio show is I say you know well, let's let's turn the video on so that I, you know four hours out of my week I can meet new people see new faces and meet new human beings and it, and it's a beautiful thing so I, I you know I, I thank you for um, for answering that um, but that is all the time that we've got so we're going to uh, we're going to let you go but I got one more it's our closeout wrap up question is how people can reach out to you and if you have any parting words of wisdom feel free to share them with us not that you haven't shared plenty already. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I mean, I think that one of the biggest kind of beliefs that I have or uh, 
phrases that I, that I go to or that I share with clients is imperfect action. Uh, I believe that uh, most people have great potential inside of them and far too often they are held back because they want things to be just perfect before they get them out there uh, to the world. But what I've seen over the last two decades uh, in business and in working with many different people is that the way that you actually achieve more is by putting more out there because that's, you know, coming back to your question around data, when you take a chance, when you put something out there, you'll, you'll get some data. You'll learn whether what you thought works or it didn't work. And then you just make adjustments to it. So there's no real such thing as failure as long as you keep trying and then you learn from that. So uh, just the phrase imperfect action is I think a really important one for people to embrace uh, and whatever they're working on, whatever they're kind of thinking about, uh, don't wait, get it out there, you know, and, and see how it works and then make adjustments and course correct and keep going. And I think when you do that, uh, you'll actually start to make significantly more progress than you potentially have before if you haven't uh, haven't done that. And in terms of if people want to connect, um, more than welcome. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, fairly active there. So Michael Zapersky there. Uh, of course, our website is consultingsuccess.com. Uh, and for anyone who is thinking about getting into consulting or has been a consultant for some time and is looking for some best practices, we've put together uh, some of the most popular articles and strategies and insights that we've kind of had over the years of uh, being in the cons uh, consulting space uh, into a consulting blueprint. It's a 47-page guide, and you're welcome to get that for free by going to consultingsuccess.com forward slash blueprint. Excellent. Well, everybody, um, I hope you all will uh, listen to this episode again, and this time with a notepad. Uh, so there's lots and lots and lots of great information here. So, Michael Zabrowski, thank you so much. Uh, you said you wanted to bring value, and you, uh, <laughs> you, you passed that with flying colors, I would say. Thanks, Joseph. Great to be with you. And thanks you as well. All right, everybody, we'll check in with you soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>